we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckingisms? What the fucksters? I, I think what the fuckingisms is good. What the fuck, miss? Happy what the fuck, miss? Again. So it's the 27th. It's that weird middle... Did I mention I'm Mark Marin? This is WTF. Did I mention I owe a big thanks to Comedy Central for being a big supporter of WTF in 2012? Speaking of Comedy Central, Dr. Katz, professional therapist, was a show on Comedy Central. I believe I was on there twice. I'd like to think twice. It might have just been once. It was a very exciting day for me to finally get that gig when I was a younger comic and drive to Newton from Boston. <laughs> drive the uh, the full 12 minutes to Newton and get in that studio in hopes and anticipation of being uh, squiggle visioned uh and uh you know, I was thrilled it was a it was a big break and I love Jonathan he and Tom Snyder are here to talk about their new uh their new thing uh explosion bus I hope you're all making it through the holidays I know a lot of you are avoiding me uh, until you get back I don't know why I could be I could throw you a line. I could be, uh, I could help you, but you know, if you want to listen later, that's fine. I'm dealing with my own shit over here. You know, it's a, it's an interesting and, and difficult thing. Sometimes the holidays, am I right? There's something about that Christmas Eve thing. You know, I had a, I had a wonderful Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, the Eve before Christmas, went over to my buddy Al Madrigal's and uh, spent some time with his family and some other comics, Kevin Christie, Brendan Walsh, and the like, Bill Burr. Uh, we had a nice chat. Got into a, Jake Johansson was there. Got in a little uh, chatty circle of comics going over the thing. The who, who's what? What happened to him? No shit. That guy did that. How much did you get ripped off for? Uh, really? That dude stole that? Oh, fuck. Yeah, I never liked that guy anyways. I hope he's all right. Uh, so where are you going to be? Oh, how'd you get that gig? Oh, tell us about that, that time. How many years ago was that? Holy fuck, it's weird how old we are now. I just summed it up for you. Oh, wait, I forgot one. Yeah, not really my thing. I never really thought he was that funny. I mean, people like him. Uh, is that it? Is that all of it? We, me and Bill Burr almost got into some sort of argument about uh, about Led Zeppelin for no reason. For no reason, he brought up something uh, like he was watching some YouTube thing, and we were talking about Zeppelin. I was talking about records. He's a drummer. We we're talking. We we're thinking about playing a little together, just me and him, Black Keys style. I think is the plan at this point, if it does happen. But he said he saw some YouTube videos that uh, show that. Uh, Zeppelin stole some shit from their opening acts. And I'm like, come on, that music evolves. Music is music. I don't know if you could look at it as stealing. And he goes, no, man, that's some Mencia shit. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's music. It's Zeppelin. I'm sure they didn't do the exact same thing. He's like, look, you know, I've had a couple of beers. And uh, I don't think we need to go any further with this conversation. (laughs) And I'm like, all right. And then he says a couple of seconds later, he goes, I just want you to know that was a very mature thing, a very mature decision I just made. <laughs> I love, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point, if you're a certain type of dude, myself included, when you get a little self-awareness, uh, you just want to make sure that uh, everybody's aware, that you're self-aware, and that you made a, a, a choice 
in a moment where you might not have made one before and caused a lot of bullshit. That is some serious growth, people. It's a funny moment, man. So Christmas Eve was a little dicey, you know, because I'm here with Jess and, uh, you know, we both have our own family shit and you get a little nostalgic for what you had or what you didn't have and feelings run deep. It's a little heavy, man. It's a heavy night if you're not surrounded by uh, people and a tree and a fireplace and a sweater and all that other bullshit and expectations and you're just kind of hanging out wondering what everyone else is doing. And as a Jew, that's a weird night because you're like, well, this is that night. But there's a a density to it, a depth to the to the sort of uh, quietude of uh, of Christmas night. And we were managing pretty good and then something tipped the scales. We ended up having some sort of bullshit fight over whatever. And, you know, I, I, I tried to do the right thing to make the mature choice and stepped outside. Granted, I, I stepped outside with the intention of leaving uh, my own house, which is always a fucking don't, don't tell her, but that's always bullshit. Like I'm, I'm fucking out of here. So I'm, I'm going to leave my house. Where am I going to go? So I, I did that and I stood outside and went to the bottom of the driveway and everything was completely quiet. And I heard a sound that I've only heard once in my life that confirmed some of my deeper fears about something. I heard a pack of coyotes up on the hill somewhere. And I don't know if you've ever heard that. And if you haven't, it's a very frightening, sort of chaotic kind of canine chatter. It doesn't sound like dogs, really. And it, it definitely sounds like they're almost speaking a language. There's a, a, a horrible kind of uh you know dog-like chattering going on and, and you don't know what they're doing i don't know what they're doing i'm sure someone knows what they're doing i'm sure someone who has studied coyotes know what they're doing i mean my in my darker thoughts i imagine they're they're celebrating they're dancing around the corpse of someone's pet before they eat it but they're out there and i know they're out there i heard that sound once up on the hills in santa fe new mexico didn't know what it was it woke me up it almost sounded like a a speeded up tape of uh of a bunch of dogs barking like something played at 45 it's a it's kind of a horrendous frequency but they're out there so i was out there taking a break from a fight that was bullshit listening to the wild listening to the wild the sounds of the wild the intensity and reality of the wild kind of brought me down a notch man i went back in and you know begged for mercy for forgiveness for christmas you know, let me give you the gift of I'm sorry on this uh, on this uh, holy night. We pulled it together. We went to bed, got up, still a little tense in the air. Felt the, felt the, the, the tension of sadness and difficulty of relationships in my guts. And I don't do this all the time, but I came right out here to the fucking garage on Christmas morning. I plugged in my Les Paul TV Jr. and I got it a little dirty and I put on some Peter Green Fleetwood Mac and I jammed my fucking balls off in the deepest way I'd ever jammed in my life. Nobody was there to witness it. Maybe somebody heard it. Maybe somebody across the way. Some I, I picture maybe a Latino family a few doors down the hill were opening presents and heard me screaming on my yellow guitar the sound of a frustrated heart-wrenched man mixing with all that jesus and candy and smells of pork cooking just a a, a thin blues riff coming down the hill that just a, a little underneath the singing on the uh cd player silent night perhaps in spanish i'd like to think of it as in spanish 
Maybe I brought some joy or at least a, a different tone to someone's Christmas morning down the hill coming out of my garage just to like, what is that? What is that? In the same way I reacted to those coyotes. What is that? I know that sound. And after I played blues, we went and made up. We pulled it together. We're closer than ever today. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'll be at the Improv in the Hard Rock, Fork, Fork, Fork Lauderdale, Florida, where my mommy lives down there in Fort Lauderdale area. 4th, 5th, and 6th of January there at the Improv with Mike Lawrence. The following weekend, 10th, 11th, and 12th, I'll be at Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina with uh, Ryan Singer, Mike Lawrence in Florida, Ryan Singer in North Carolina. On the 13th, I'll be here in Pasadena at the Ice House for one of those hour jam sessions with a few other comics who I better book soon. God, I'm an idiot. I should book those, right? I should ask people if they want to come. What else is going on? February 8th at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, a live WTF and a live um, stand-up show. That's happening. That's going to be good. On that show so far, uh, I've got Sue Costello. I've got Gary Goldman. I've got Joe Wong. I've got Rich Jenkins. I've got the mythic and infamous DJ Hazard, who was one of the first comics I ever saw live in college. Looking forward to him. Also uh, hoping for one more act there, and we'll see. We'll see what I come up with. I'm still working on that. But that'll be fun, man. Yes, it will. Let's talk to Jonathan Katz and Tom Snyder about uh, about uh, Dr. Katz, professional therapist, and about their new uh, project, uh, Explosion Bus. I like old things. That too, Vamp. I, there seems to be a, a nostalgia thing that I'm after. Right. I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm chasing. I, I decided I needed tubes and I needed to play my records right. because there's integrity to them authenticity how are your tubes my tubes are okay the ones inside of me i don't know i i i i need need to get them checked (laughs) i should check my tubes but the tubes on that amp are good i have an old scott preamp which is uh, i was about to throw it out and somebody said don't i almost bought one of those yeah it's beautiful with tubes yeah and do you use it for records no i use it it's in my audio museum oh yeah what else you got in there i have something called an l cassette was which was a a, st- a stage in between the reel-to-reel and the cassette. Uh-huh. Something called an L cassette where the cassettes were about this big. Yeah. Never really caught on. The size of reels, basically. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with uh, so Tom Snyder's here and Jonathan Katz. And we have a lot to talk about. I think I should talk to uh, both of you. But, I mean, there's some things I want to talk to, to Jonathan about before you guys got together. Uh, you know, you were, you know, we knew each other in Boston. Right. You were a comedian and are a comedian. True. You did stand-up comedy. But I have to say I'm no hero. No, I, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my new, my, my new comedic stance. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no hero. That's your hook? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, don't look to me to lead. Yeah, I'm just trying to get by. No, I saw a kid in Newton. Yeah. Uh, not a kid. In, uh, what I actually mean by a kid is an elderly woman. Sure, yeah. Who is trapped between a bus and the jaws of life. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on. And I happen to have a breath mint. I'm sorry. I, I, no, this story's not going anywhere. I'm not a hero. You're doing. You're going to do some uh, some jokes? No, but I mean, yeah. what, what year was that? 1989 right. or 88? I lived there. So where did you start doing comedy? Where did you come from? Why, why, you know, why were you there? I started doing 
comedy in New York in, in 1981 when there were not so many jokes. Yeah. But um, back in the day when there, right. there was only seven or eight jokes. That's right. And you were trying to invent something. Right. But I, I came from uh, the world of music. I had a band called Cats and Germans. I saw the album in there. Yeah. And, I have um, two copies. We signed one. I want to keep one clean. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> and, Cats um, and Jammers. Yeah. What was it? It was all original music. Yeah. It was a, comedy songs. Not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I always describe us as mediocre. Uh huh. But we did rhythm and blues, country and western. I wrote one song with David Mamet. Another song. Uh, other songs by myself. Um, so you're going, you going? Know, David Mamet only shares credit on one Cats and Jammers song, right? So is that, how much did he? You just have to split on that. We shared the writing credit, and then the publishing went yeah. to somebody else. So, so you didn't get any. <laughs> no, every once in a while, and and Robin sang it on Mork and Mindy. Did he? Yeah, and so every once in a while, a check for like eighty cents shows up. Sure, yeah, from the from the Mork and Mindy, right? right. And then and then Mamet gets an eighty cents as well. Right. So, comedy came second. Comedy was my uh, was my. I discovered as a musician that when I sang, people talked. Yeah. When I talked, people sang. No, people listened. Yeah. But I never made anybody dance. That's the that's the one. <laughs> you made them talk. Yeah, I made them talk. Uh huh. And then you decided to do stand up. Yeah, it wasn't like a conscious decision, but I just sort of I. I went from having a, a five-piece band yeah. to a three-piece band and yeah. then working solo, and I still haven't told the other two guys. <laughs> this is like an 80. They're still showing up for gigs? Yeah. John will be here soon. God right. damn it, he didn't come again. Right. 23, 30 years of that. Right. You'd think they'd learn. Yeah, it's crazy. Maybe you should call them. Yeah. But uh, when I met you, I think I, I, for some reason I have a recollection of you, uh, Nick's Comedy Stop, when I was starting out. Doing a set, and you had you did have uh, you did your jokes, and then you had some sort of guitar thing that had a built-in recording. Right, unit. right. I used to pretend I was playing the guitar, but actually the sound was being generated by a little tape machine inside the guitar. Right, and so all I could do was start and stop it. Right, and there was a, the bit was, a, but it was a, under the boardwalk. Maybe save the last dance. That's no, what I closed with. But I also had things like I'd stare at some young woman in the audience, and you would hear. Oh my God! Yeah, who is that exquisite creature staring at me? And it, it wasn't you talking. No, was, right, right. That's right. right. Yeah, right. And then did you, you had, did what? you build the cassette into the guitar yourself? I had help from some guy in oh. in. It's uh, cool in Watertown, I think. Yeah, yeah, but that was. Uh, but you always had the good jokes. I mean, you. Uh, what was uh, uh, for me? Um, what What is it? There's a There's an argument about. Uh, the moment of conception, and for me, it's uh, after that first cup of coffee or something. Oh, right. The moment when of... life begins. When life begins. For me, it's it. after that second cup of coffee. <laughs> um, what was your relationship with David Mamet? I mean, how were you guys childhood friends? How did you meet we that met guy? We in college. We, we were... We, were uh, when we both went to Goddard College, and when Goddard College in 1965... They were supposed to have two campuses, but they hadn't built the second one yet. Yeah. So David and I were housed in farmhouses in Marshfield, Vermont. Really? Yeah. And it's just coincidental? Yeah. And I discovered that he's extraordinarily funny. Yeah. And he's, uh, was he, what, what, what was he like as a young man? Was he, uh, he was angry? The, no, no. He was the only guy who actually wanted a college education. Uh huh. And he, start, he was a, even then a compulsive writer. Yeah. 
loved women, yeah, like many of us did. But yeah. we actually were attracted to the same woman, and I got there first, and he carried me. He's very strong physically yeah. out of her room and deposited me in the snow. Just to say that it wasn't about who got there first. <laughs> did he end up getting her or did you? No, I think I, I ended up spending more time with her ultimately. Uh-huh. Because I'm not a brute. Yeah. He's a brute, clearly. Yeah. And he's taken a turn for the very Jewish lately, correct? Yeah. You know, it's. I was telling somebody, I don't really talk to him about... Judaism? About <laughs> anything but jokes. And we yeah. speak in code. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I'm sure you have a friend like that who you don't... You don't really share that much personal information with, yeah. but but you. Yeah, but he's the only one who understands something that you're saying, a childhood friend maybe. Well, that's interesting, yeah, because comedians are like that for comedy, and Jews are like that for everything else. Like, I mean, like I feel uh, a sort of innate connection with the uh, with most middle class, not too religious Jewish people. Right. Don't you? Like, I feel connected to you, and even though you don't like me very much, is a new thing. That's not true. That's no, I've never not liked you I'm as sure. much as I not. No, it's no, I've never not liked you. <laughs> but I could say to you, I could use the phrase "oi." Oi, yeah, and I would feel at home with that. Yeah, or I could say everybody's got their own Michigan. Yeah, you could say that, and I could, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I could uh, adapt to that. So when you guys met, when when Tom Snyder and you hooked up for the the Doctor Katzing, I mean, look, we were all trying to do something. As comedians at that time, right. did you not want to leave Boston? Were, were you sort of like, uh, wh- how did the evolution from? Did you give up on stand up at some point? No, we moved to to Newton because my daughter had just was almost three, and I spent too much time looking over my shoulder living in New York uh-huh. with with a with a girl Baby. on a stroller. Yeah, yeah. right. Know? And then you decided right. for the safety of the child. Yeah, and also my my wife wanted to do it. Uh-huh. Her family is from Newton, so she had the support of a sister, a mother, a father. Well, wasn't there some party that was like, oh, fuck, now what's going to happen to my comedy? Well, oddly enough, the day I moved to Boston, the night before I was on Letterman. Yeah. So then it became being near an airport. Yeah. And I remember the next the next night I performed at, maybe at Nick's and George yeah. McDonald, remember George sure. McDonald, came up to me and said, I heard you say you were moving here last night, but I didn't believe it. <laughs> and there you yeah. were. Yeah. So it all worked out. You just, in your mind, you're like, I can travel from anywhere. Yeah. And I can work here. Right. And how long were you in Boston before you met Tom? Well, it must have been about, I moved in 85, maybe almost less than 10 years. Oh, yeah. Much less because I think it was 92 that I stopped by your house. Right. And who, how did the Dr. Katz thing happen? Because I talked to you briefly about it, and I talked to Lauren, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and he was the young gun there that you took under your wing. Yes, he was great. That's, that's how he framed it, that he, you see, you changed his life. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. I think he was a bouncer. I don't know. Did right, he yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Lauren Bouchard said you came into the bar where he was uh, b- bouncing or bartending at, yeah. and he saw it as fate. Yeah, and it was great. I mean, it's a uh, happy accident for me, too. Just uh, if I could start by say, trying to say "oi," and I, um, yeah, de- definitely you can try yeah, with a Wellesley accent. Yeah, with a you know, <clears throat> "oi." Uh, I was all right. Yeah, thanks. It didn't. It didn't. There wasn't a, a tradition of pain in it. 
No, nope. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't hear the suffering of thousands of years. No, I've had a very happy life. That's the... <laughs> Where did you grow up? <laughs> Wellesley. Really? Yeah. I didn't know anyone who lived there. Yeah. I remember I had to drive there with the dream of uh, dating somebody. I think I went out with someone from Wellesley once when I was in college there. When I was Boston. in uh, third grade, my uh, girlfriend's name was Amy Feinberg, and she was bussed in from Newton. Seriously, there was a little VW bus. They, they had to bring her in. Yeah. And I said to my dad. Amy, this girl is like none of the girls I've ever met. Yeah. He said, well, that's, she's a, a Jew. And I said, what's a Jew? And he said, we don't have them here. And he literally <laughs> said that. And so it made it all the more intriguing for me to meet guys like you. Yeah, really? Like yeah. the the strength, the Jews. Yeah, and we were drawn as Jewish guys to the exotic world of Gentiles. <laughs> Anything yeah. but Jews. The exotic, <laughs> exotic world of genitals. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so when you did you go? Where'd you go to college? I went to Swarthmore. Now was animation always a thing? I mean, what what what? Where do you come from? No, I well, I was a French literature major, and uh, I taught science in an elementary school. Uh, actually, before that, I'd been in a recording. I was a recording artist in L.A. Uh, back in the late '60s with um, a band. And so what I what band? Uh, you've never heard of them? Doesn't matter. It, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Look this up. T. Fenimore. T. Fenimore? Yeah. And you had to deal with Capital, didn't you? It w we had a five-year with uh, Capital, and that was back in the era when they were- Late stuck. 60s? Yeah. Six and so you were like 20? I was 19. And you came out here to fucking rock? I came out here, the first place our producer took us, who was uh, Bobby Goldsboro's, remember him? Uh-huh. One day the angels came. Uh-huh. And he took us to a topless restaurant, which they don't really have anymore. Mm-hmm. And- um, No, they cut out the food entirely. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a, a real loss, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was a breakthrough. <laughs> hey, we don't need the food yeah. if we got the tits, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, so I went into teaching eventually, and then but tell me about rock and roll in the late '60s, and like when you come to Los Angeles, see so the Sunset Strip was like alive and well, and and things were rocking. It was, but we were so we were from Wellesley, both of us. You know, there's only two of us. Yeah, we'd co-written a song, two of us. I like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, they brought a, a trio of black girls to come and sing behind us. They were called the Sophisticates. And uh -huh. we took them out to dinner, you know, because we were so formal. We what was the song? You took them to the topless restaurant? No, no, no. We had a slightly nicer place. Oh, that was good. Lorna, Lorna. You can find it. Lorna, Lorna. So it was a pop song. It was a pop song. Not a, it was not a hippy-dippy song. It was not a drug song. It was like a, an old school pop song. No, it was more like a combination of... Uh, the Beatles and, and Steely Dan. No, this was pre Steely Dan, of course. Doo-woppy. No, more like Paul Simon meets the Beatles. And if you listen carefully, both Lincoln and I, this is my writing partner, yeah. were singing with a slight British accent, and we didn't know it. Of course, <laughs> Lana, Lana, even the world, world as the day goes shining. It was like what? So Tom is a little more modest than me about his music, yeah. Because Cats and Jammers, if you listen to Cats and Jammers, you can hear traces. I think I think it's fair to say that I influenced not not the Beatles, but the Stones. Sure, certainly Van Morrison. Yeah. So you were you preceded them? Yeah. Or you influenced their later work? Tell him. Uh, well, you might remember how John used to introduce himself. As, uh, oh, it was the white Paul Simon. That's, uh, yeah. That was how I built myself initially. Well, yeah, you were kind. Of, you kind of looked like him, yeah. right? Yeah, and I was in a studio with him once with with Car well with Carrie Fisher, not with Paul Simon. She played Doctor Katz's. Um, what's the word? Putative. Putative. Pay P fuck you. 
his his uh, ex-wife uh-huh. named Roz and Carrie Fisher who used to be married to Paul Simon she, yeah. looked, she looked at me and she said oh my god it's like being with him yeah. <laughs> that was the Thanksgiving episode of yeah. Dr. the only seasonal episode we ever did right how many episodes did you do 81 84 are we gonna can we make can we agree we split on split the difference <laughs> okay I think you were cut out of three there was oh a, there was oh a it would have been so nice if you could have been in the last three yeah yeah they just didn't need you anymore but you know what Comedy Central they called me and said too much cats too much yeah yeah could yeah. you lose that guy 84 episodes mm-hmm. now they're available now again on DVD right yeah there's a box set a box set <clears throat> but I think you don't really have to pay for it because they're all on YouTube I think does that much. upset you well no because we don't make a penny from not, it not episodically on YouTube you see you see most oh, of scenes. the patients yeah but, but you don't see it more of you you don't see right. the, the narrative of you right. and your son and right. your receptionist which right. is the whole fun of Dr. Sure. Cass for us hey believe me I do an interview show with an opening monologue that uh, not everybody sticks around for right <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the show? Let's just forward through Marin's bullshit. Do you know that because of the Google Analytics you get? No, I don't do any of that. Well, Mark, I have one of those in my house too, those HBO posters. With you on it. Yeah. We did those. Holy shit, that's right. Yeah, I uh, have I interviewed everybody on there? Bobcat I interviewed, now you. Dana I've interviewed, not Judy. But she was on a live one. Okay. Me, Janine I've interviewed, and Carlos I've interviewed. How do you like that? That's pretty cool. I don't remember what night you were on or whether I was there for it. But uh, yeah, that you, yeah, I have that poster. There you are. That headshot. I remember that headshot from and we, and clubs we, and colleges all over the New England area. Right. We're used to sucking your cheeks, right? Admit it. You do that? No. Yeah. My mother does that. But um, I think I remember when when we first started doing comedy. Whoever introduced you always exaggerated. Sure. You Still, know, we do clubs and colleges all, all over the country. I haven't actually left the west side of Manhattan yet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, clubs and colleges. He's he's been on Leno, Carson, Letterman, right. Carson right. Daly, right. Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, right. Letterman again, Craig Ferguson. I really don't like when they say Leno because I haven't been on it and I get mad about and it. And then your credits sort of catch up with you. Sure, and it, it actually becomes true. Right, John. Did you do Griffin? I did. Uh, I did not do Griffin, but mm-hmm. I did. Um, Who's the guy who's on in the daytime out of Philadelphia? Tom Snyder? No. What happened to Tom Snyder? Is he still alive? He died. He did? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. So, Ben, now, what did you what did you study in college? I went to Goddard College, so I, no. I studied sex and drugs. Sure. Well, that's what we all studied, but right. what were you there for, no, according serious. to your parents? Oh, you actually. No, that, I, I actually. <laughs> Goddard College was, was the kind of school where you made up your own courses Oh, that's nice behavior. Um, it's texture. I like to keep the neighborhood yeah. alive. But I actually got credit for a course that I had to call a study in self-physical development. And it was just me running around the parking lot twice a week. Study in self-physical development? Right. So what you would, what you just look at your body or record, you take a journal of I like... Just, I yeah, think. and I, I didn't always do it. You know, it just uh, my, my uh, mentor, and that was the... A guy named Mark Ryder, who's the dance teacher there. It was, it was, You're telling the truth, which yeah, I like. It's yeah. hard to tell with you, but yeah. but this is actually a real thing. And I used to carry a doctor's bag with me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it always had a ping pong racket in it. But Did some, you carry a doctor's bag? Yeah. Where'd you get it? Uh, I think I got it at like a place called Dude and Harry's in Vermont, an mm-hmm. antique store. But um, That was your thing? You were the kid with the doctor's bag yeah, on but, campus? Yeah, but I also sometimes I actually had mescaline in it. Yeah? 
uh, which who says mescaline? Mescaline. I didn't say it right. Mescaline. Mescaline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I would sell it if I had any left. Really. Yeah. Out of your doctor's bag, you yeah. sold hallucinogenic, but organic hallucinogenic yeah. drugs. Yeah, and I and I had some wonderful experiences on drugs, and one awful, which is enough. You just need one really awful experience. What, what was that one? Uh, I I took a. And kids, if you're listening, don't try this at home. I took a um, tab of LSD. Mm-hmm. At around midnight in, oh, that's in, never, Ver- in no. Vermont. Oh boy! Sub-zero weather, and you, so you couldn't go outside. Well, I did go outside. Okay. I, I was oblivious to the weather, but I, the first place I went was to a, a dorm that was for vegetarian lesbian dorm, mm-hmm. and they let me in. That's, be- it was that specific. Yeah, they let me in because <laughs> I was freezing. Yeah, but I blew my cover. I had meat, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. and then I went to another dorm. Yeah, where some guy offered to read me read from the Book of the Dead. Really? And I thanked him. They were like, "You're tripping." Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was the right thing to do. Sure. But yeah. It was so depressing. And then I, the person who saved my life was my sister. You called her. I called her. And she <laughs> said, "Jonathan, you took a drug. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> It'll go away yeah. soon. Yeah. Ride it out, kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's it's such a funny. mistake." Were you a druggie, Tom? Yes, I, I totally wasted college, but just with pot. No, really. And uh, mescaline, oddly too, because sometimes you'd mix the two together, right, for a particularly bad evening. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when, when the so okay, I, I want to talk. So you went out here to be a pop star, and that yes. and that that folded. That folded terribly. But when you came out here, with the idea was that this guy who brought you out here was going to make it a hit. He didn't make a hit. What, what was the process? Because you always hear about the late 60s and music. It was like this golden era of almost like the everyone was getting record deals. Yeah, they were signing hundreds and hundreds of people and booking studio time. And it was so, even in the late 60s, even though the Beatles had already change recording forever by yeah. c- controlling the studio we'd go in it and there'd be guys in their 50s and 60s and coats and ties sure the paradigm hadn't completely shifted yet yeah and th- those yeah. were the engineers but the musicians too and they'd sit down cross their leg light a cigarette uh, get the sh- sh- the charts out yeah put a guitar in their knee and uh knock it out they'd hire a guy just to play the shaker and he'd been in iso booth and he's yeah and uh and we'd get you know an hour to do it and um, then they made the record, and I was terribly flat. Just, you know, I You're couldn't going hear on myself. Two inch tape. I don't know. This was probably an eight track. Stu- eight track was all they had. Yeah, but maybe probably, four. It could have been four. Yeah, it might have been half inch tape. I don't know the number of inches, but so you both had uh, musical dreams, cats and jams. Yeah, and I also I I, I the the biggest performance I ever did in front of a live audience singing mm-hmm. was my bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. and I killed. Yeah, and you were paid well, right? I, it's the most I ever made mm-hmm. since, until I did an HBO special. What, where did, so you grew up in in the city in New York City? Yeah. What did your old man do? My father was a communist by day. Yeah, and both of my parents were were old school Jewish commies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and my dad was a really uh, a very well-known and successful labor leader. He would be on the front page of the New York Times almost daily before the Second World War, uh-huh. during the war. And my mom was welding ships in Brooklyn in the Navy Yard. 
for the uh, the what did they call that? When Rosie the Rosie the Riveter. Riveter. Right. Yep. And they both and they both hung out with Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and were part of that group. Oh wow! Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, like uh, sing-alongs in the living room kind of thing. Uh, Before I arrived, once oh. I arrived, <laughs> that was it. Everything changed. Yep. What about you, Tom? Where, what what kind of background you come from? My uh, dad was really rich uh-huh. and an officer in the Navy. Yeah. And uh, uh, my mom was very poor. Came from an Appalachian mountain that was a coal town. And she ran away from home when she was about 17 and went to New York City and met Rodgers and Hammerstein. Stein? Stein. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Okay. And uh, got in there, one of the, uh, the next show they did, which was, or the first show they did together was Oklahoma. So um, I grew up uh, sitting at the piano with that. Do you remember those music books of Rodgers and Hammerstein? Very yeah. Colorful pictures sure, of Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. And I learned all those chords and how to sing all those songs. So she, she, she was a dancer. She was a dancer in those. And so she used to take us down on the train to all the openings, and I'd meet Mary Martin and all those guys. Really? And and my parents would be outside protesting. <laughs> yeah. For the stagehands. Yeah. Who weren't being paid properly. Right. And I was singing in the men's room at, at uh, I don't think you call it halftime, but um, <laughs> I was funny. easily, uh, an, potentially an early gay boy. Um, and that passed? Or? It did. It went away. attraction to women. Because my dad just beat the crap out of me. <laughs> beat the gay out of you? I beat the gay out of me. If, I don't know if you guys ever knew this, because you're a bit younger. No, you, you're you older. Yeah. If you uh, did your top button on yeah. your shirt with no tie, yeah. you're gay. Oh, you, no, I think those signals and signs change. Now you can just be gay without a code. Y- yeah. Yeah, that, all that's... Uh, there's no reason. Yeah. But I'd come home from school and take off my tie that I had to wear to school when I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and he'd walk over immediately and undo my top button to make sure. Because I think he had cause and effect backwards. I think he thought if you did that button, you oh you would it would turn you into yeah, a homosexual. Because, yeah, but it's in, so your dad comes from what old money kind old of old money. Oh yeah. really? Quaker? No kidding. Yeah, way back. Yeah. So did so did they own part of Wellesley? No, they moved to well. Actually, uh, they moved to Wellesley because of all the money my mom had made on Broadway. She made just a ton. Now she went to the Philippines with with Oklahoma during the war, and Dad was on a ship in the Philippines. Huh. So it was a marriage made in heaven. They, um, an officer and a poor uh, dancer uh-huh. who was beautiful. Uh-huh. Tom, didn't you have? To, weren't you the guy who had to be taught to, to hate, be afraid? Uh, to hate. A, a, to be afraid of people whose eyes are a different shade. Yes. Yep. Yeah. What happened? Oh, that's the uh, hammer uh, from South Pacific. You've oh. got to be taught to hate or <laughs> be afraid. Do you know that? <laughs> of people whose eyes are oddly made. Well, none of us like people that are different from us yeah, in yeah. a sense that I don't feel that comfortable with you guys. And I, feel, that, I feel okay about you. I you mean, know, I kind of summed you up. When I checked into the hotel room, when I, we've been here a week now, yeah. almost, there was a pill on the floor, which mm-hmm. is, I decided it was either ecstasy or rat poison. Mm-hmm. And last night, Tom and I were at, in the restaurant flirting with these two gay women from Australia. Mm-hmm. And I invited them up to the, our room. I said, why don't we move the party to my room? We can split a tab of rat poison. And they said no. Yeah. It was really a brilliantly delivery because John said, hey, look, we're both married. Yeah. You guys are both gay. Why yeah. don't we move this party up to my room? And, and uh, put a pill of rat poison. Yeah. Um, you know, it's tempting, uh, whether it's rat poison or it's ecstasy, to 
Just try it. Try it on a rat. See if they have. Like Wait. This. So you still have the pill? Yeah. Yes. We have a photograph of it, so we can look it up online. Is it labeled? No, it has no markings. Yeah, but it is a real capsule. Yeah. One half is one color, one half's the other. Right. We could. Probably, it probably might be cold medicine. Why you guys? You guys have invested a lot in this yeah. random tablet you found. Right. There's a you, there's a, a whole mystery. I, when you find out what it is, are you going to take it? Or are you just going to say like, oh, it's one of that? Well, it's that, your, your wife has given you explicit instructions never to take ecstasy, and right. I think we it's have not, to abide yeah. by that. Why? But, just not good for me neurologically, but it's also not. I also might like it too much. How how are you doing with that? I'm doing okay. You know, I. I give myself an injection every night of what a drug called copaxon an ms drug and once a month i have an infusion of uh solumedrol but i don't like you know ms is such a weird disease it affects everybody differently so what works for one person doesn't work for another necessarily and what is it how does you've had it for how long now i was diagnosed in 97 so about wow yeah and in in terms of prognosis with something like that the doctor's basically like well we don't know how this goes for any individual. Right, but the thing is, if it, if I had been diagnosed in the year 1980, yeah, I'd be in much worse shape because there were no drugs. Right. I'd pretty much, I'm sorry to hear that, that was would be the diagnosis. But my doctor, I asked my neurologist at the time, what does a guy my age do when they find out that they're diagnosed with MS? And he said, some guys have... And I'm there with my wife, meeting with him. And I said, some guys have 12 affairs, and other guys climb Mount Everest. So my wife and I talked it over. <laughs> <laughs> and we decided on Did one you see that coming? <laughs> yeah. One affair, three romantic dinners. Because <laughs> I'm not an outdoorsman. <laughs> but when I get back to, to Newton, I yeah. want to be the first guy with MS to climb Mount Auburn. Mount, Mount Auburn? My, my, I was going to say Mount Ida, but Mount Auburn works too. <laughs> I don't even know where Mount Auburn is. I know there's... It's a street in Cambridge. I know. It's, is there a Mount Auburn? No. no, there's no... But there's a Mount Ida as a junior college for girls. Mount... Yeah, there, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. It really? was not a good one. It no, was like a, almost like a business school, right? Yeah, but I'm going to climb it. You'd like to mount <laughs> Mount Ida? Yeah. <laughs> but it has you... So outside of that joke that you just did, do you... How often do you go on stage and do you talk about the MS? I do. You know, for, for years I was totally uh, in the closet with it. But then, now I can't shut up about it. It's well, it's weird. hard to be in the closet when you're when you need uh, the cane. Yeah, you're gonna have to address true. that a bit, right? And the scooter. I like the scooter. Yeah, yeah. I'm a three. We have a three scooter family now. Yeah, I got a scooter from Israel. Uh, Someone sent it to you, or you bought one there? Well, they they sent it to me in exchange for money. Yeah, but um, it goes. It says on the speedometer 111, but I think they mean 11. Because uh, it's an amazingly powerful... It looks like a Vespa. Yeah. Or a, a, my wife calls it the Hummer of mobility scooters. It's got that thing where the turtle on one side and a, a rabbit on the other. Uh-huh. So you have an enormous range of yeah, uh, you can power go from, selection. It actually has those pictures? Yeah. So uh, on this one, but not on not on the Israeli not, one. Oh, they don't? No. What's their symbol for fast? A yeah. bullet. Yeah. <laughs> A bus. <laughs> right, but it goes off-road. It goes, might even work in the snow. In oh, the really? Snow. So you can really take it out? And yeah. I use maybe it you could do Everest on that. You know, Everest is not handicapped accessible. <laughs> do they have charging stations on the way up, too? Because you... That's true. <laughs> I wouldn't... I don't want to lose juice. Yeah. 
All right, so you guys, uh, the all right, whatever happens to you, 1970, you, you teach, and that's how you met Warren Bouchard. Mm-hmm. You stayed no, in, not 70. Student, 92. What did you do from 70 to 92? I, I taught from, uh, after I got out of Swarthmore, I taught for 10 years at an elementary school, taught science. So the, 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 the music career was a glitch. It was it just, a gl- it, it, uh, yeah, I kept on trying the way everybody does. You kept going to New York and making tunes and recording them. And but we, Tom wrote all the music for Dr. Katz and many other animated shows. Yeah, I still, I'm an inveterate sort of, Sort of that Steely Dan era R and B. Can you explain those fuckers to me? Because yes. like, you know, I mean, I, you know, people are like, "How can you not like?" There's a certain type of uh, of uh, almost fanatical Steely Dan fan. It's true. And and I like I listen to a couple songs and I get it. You know, this nice. It sounds nice. I get it. The production's great. But the people that love them are like, "No, you don't understand." Yeah. What don't I? Uh, what don't I understand? Well, I wonder if this would help. Uh, Do you speak jazz? Sure, a little bit. Because they, they melded jazz with rock and roll or rhythm and blues in a way that had never been done. Oh, I, is that that's the thing? I think that's kind of true, although that was sort of what all those fusion bands did, like Stuff. and Right. But um, I heard... Like uh, Spyro Gyra? Yes. And, yeah. But uh, Donald Fagan was on uh, Marion McPartland, you know, her mm-hmm. jazz show. Mm-hmm. And she asked, what were you and Becker? Why had you started a band? At, they were at Goddard, too, right? No. No, Bard. Bard. And he said, we were both into jazz, science fiction, and comedy. And that's, he said, if you put those three things together, you get Steely Dan. So maybe that's the answer. So it's it's really a, a nerd thing. Yeah, in a way, it is. Uh, yeah, the science fiction element, the science fiction and jazz element, the, right there I can see how, you know, my my penis just wilted. Yes. There's not enough there's not enough <laughs> blues, there's not enough grit, there's not enough uh, anger, though Fagan is a bit of an angry guy. Uh, I, yeah, or I, he's I, sort of a sneering guy, but I don't know if it's legitimate anger. So that's interesting because... I don't I, see the comedy part in there at all. Oh, I think his lyrics are very no, funny. No, it's, 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 really? it's cynically comedy. It's, it's yeah. a little cynical, but I can hear that. Like, Hey 19, the idea of it is sort of sadly funny. Yes. Right? I guess I don't listen to lyrics. That's just, that's. I'm not a big lyric guy either. Yeah, yeah I just listen to the music. Right. Well, that's interesting because that's sort of... I would assume like in my... Like with animation... And myself, like I, I'm slow to it. I'm slow to it, mm. generally. Like I'm not a big animation guy, and yeah. I and I think that you know the the people that that love animation and I think maybe even create animation are probably would lean more towards Steely Dan than I would. Yes, and I am not exaggerating one bit when I say I'm not really an animation guy. Yeah, I truly don't dig it that much. Well, who were your comedic influences? I mean, what what I mean? Uh, it was uh, um, what's her name. Uh, uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Yep. I discovered them when I was about 10, and yep. I could not believe it. In Wellesley, it was like, do people even exist who can who just make stuff up when they talk? Yeah. And, and uh, so that was, you know, by the time I met John, that was the big experiment. Let's get people in the booth that are funny and that are talking to each other. And how lucky that we got John Benjamin and John Cathy. Improvising. Improvising. but And we didn't really call it improvising because it was off of a... a um, outline. An outline and a whole document that we'd created to keep track of the narrative about where the story was going. And, and t- matter- Tom would direct the scenes. And directing animation is a, real, is a very specific skill because... You have to let people go until you have what you need for that particular scene. Right. Uh, and then you move on. Yeah, I think Lauren uh, goes longer, and I'm not sure. But right. I sort of, he, he watched me do it, and then I watched 
him do it and he'd let you guys go a little bit longer and i was lazy it was like jesus that scene's gonna take forever to edit right, right. so uh he's also probably just sort of like i'll show him how it's done yeah well, well he was, he's very young he was extremely young yeah and and tom and i one day looked at each other and said editing audio is a young man's game but guess Although, what it ain't anymore no tom edits i'm not gonna use the word compulsively but religiously but in in terms of tone and in terms of the device of of integrating comedian comedian stand up, you know, into this show, right. which was what regenerated constantly. You, you had the narrative of you and your son and, and right. your life, but what made it compelling to Comedy Central and I think interesting was it was really a unique way to to integrate stand ups right. in, in sort of a seamless fashion. Right, and that was a marketing thing for them. Yeah, but like right. in terms of where you're, where you guys were coming from. I mean, what did you see that you were doing differently outside of like? I, I guess the technology of of how you were making animation was different. Yeah, well, that but, was just a trick. Yeah, yeah, the squiggle vision. Yeah, that was just a cheap trick to not actually have to animate. But I think you you sort of uh, there, it was a foundation of something. I yes. mean, apparently, I, you made it seem easy enough to to spawn other people that do it but you were sort of at the cutting edge of, yeah. of of the trick right yeah and we did think when we brought in other comedians that they were going to be able to do it john and john john and ben who i call john benjamin yeah um were able to do but it turned out that you know well you came in yeah no i did yeah. a couple episodes and you were in a the booth alone uh, essentially at first you know you did your material right because we we realized we wanted to get you know you in a rhythm right and it's kind of i mean i don't know if you see a shrink but you kind of get out of your rhythm i'd imagine oh i i don't see a shrink but uh yeah if you're if i'm in that rhythm they're not doing a good job yeah right if i'm <laughs> yeah, when, I, when, I, when i first started doing dr cats and yeah. i actually took my role much too literally and everyone came down to my level and made one woman cry i made Is that bob, true i made bob balaban feel better really yep but 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 initially, so you guys experimented with you being one on one with people, and yeah, the tone uh, was different. Yeah, it just it didn't work as well. So then we turned it around and had John do drops after the fact. Right, he do the uh huh. Uh, the only person yeah. with whom I uh -huh. really did sessions that were totally improvised was Dom. Dom, just because yeah. Dom Herrera. Yeah, because we know each other so well. Yeah, you do. Yeah, Dom was my first good friend in comedy. Is that true? Yeah, he's a very sweet man. Yeah. And uh, are you going to do his podcast? I did. Yeah, did it go okay? I think so. Except was that a podcast? Well, it was. It, it was shot on video. And you were sitting alone in the yeah. comedy club, right? Right. And it went okay, except for the fact that I was trying to tell. Maybe, maybe I can tell today this great joke about uh, Kate Smith. Mm. Maybe you know this joke. It's an old joke. It's but topical. I just, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just botched it, the joke miserably. But the joke is, Kate Smith, who is a a full-figured gal mm -hmm. who used to sing the national anthem mm -hmm. at sporting events, and mm -hmm. so one one day she's she's singing at a boxing match, and the uh, announcer says, uh, "In the in the in one side of the ring you have a uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, and the other side of the ring you have a uh, who's the guy that he fought, uh, Marvin Hagler." Way, yeah, but be, but but I'm just but this happened much before that. But before we do any of that. Uh, Please to sing our national anthem. Anthem. Please welcome Kate Smith. And somebody in the audience yells out, "Kate Smith is a fat fucking whore." And the answer says, "But nonetheless." <laughs> and that's the joke I blew. <laughs> Did yeah? I, 
I'm I'm concerned that you are concerned about blowing that joke. Well, did you feel it worked this time? Well, Mark's still here. Well, no, the beat was there. Yeah, you, you know, I, I I was expecting more. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a very Katzian well, look, uh, not, approach to the joke where the punchline is like subtle. Uh, I'm it's not funny. a hero, Mark. I know no. you're not. We established that. Yeah. you're my hero though, in some ways. So. Uh, well, Kate's well. So Dom Irera, you met at the Improv in New York. Yeah, and the in what the eighties, early eighties, late seventies, yeah, early eighties, and then when he would travel, he would, he and Lisa, his ex wife, would stay with us, mm-hmm. Newton. And then when they split up, he and some other woman would stay with us. <laughs> and then another woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, so you never knew who Dom was going to show up with right. at a certain point. But who else was in the crew down there? I mean, if you were you were regular at the Improv in New York in the what in the well, early eighties or yeah, late seventies. Pat Buckles was a really good friend. I don't uh-huh. know. Do you remember Pat? I'm, I do remember. She used her. to book Comic Strip Live. Uh huh. And I would call her up, and I would always say, "So Pat, who's taking it in the seat?" Yeah. You know. Yeah. Who's taking it in the seat? Yeah, like who's getting fucked up the ass? Uh huh. And and that was that yeah. was the nature of your relationship yeah. and with she Pat. Called, and she called me Chatty Kathy. Uh huh. Because I was a gossip. You were. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, well, three guys were taking it in the seat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two guys weren't. <laughs> All right. So then, so let's get back to uh, so you 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 threw out the approach of uh, actually talking to comics because they would lower the they they would actually right. get engaged with your tone right because I find that here that like if you ask them the right questions they will very quickly get out of comedian mode and right. and start answering those questions yeah not you though which but, I appreciate well, well you know what I discovered and <laughs> no one really wants to know the truth in comedy. I don't think so. I think that my the success of my podcast is predicated. I mean, on that. with the exception of you. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's why I'm yeah, yeah. I kind of I locked into something. Right. But uh, so once you did Doctor Katz, what what was the next? What was the next bit? Well, we actually Spielberg uh, got excited because he'd watched all of the available ones at that point. So he uh, they were just starting DreamWorks. Uh, so. Um, John and I took what's called the victory lap. Yeah. And, uh, we went with, with Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg. And, yeah. And we, we created a show starring John Benjamin again. And, and David Cross. And David Cross and uh, Stephen Wright and Jonathan Katz, of course. And uh, we put it together and took it out there. And they, they dug it, but uh, we decided not to go with them. And I know that sounds backwards. I know mm-hmm. it sounds like... Was that a good choice in retrospect? It, well, yeah. I think it was. <laughs> but Spielberg, uh, I said to him at one point... What did it, that show become, though? Giving Harry the Business was the name of the show. John Benjamin was a talent agent in Somerville, Massachusetts, where there was no talent. I lived there, yeah. Yeah. Was there, there was some talent then. Well, yeah, I don't know. It was early. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was hard to tell. And and our, the way we pitched it to them was just with an audio. So we right. had them sitting there, and we played the audio of an entire episode, and I held up a picture one after another of what the characters were who uh-huh. were talking. And uh-huh. they, they sat through that, which was... Did you make more? And we edited the audio in the car on the way to the meeting. Did you? Yeah. On a mini-disc machine where you could swap the scenes. Like that one, like that little mini-disc A little machine? more sophisticated, but not much. We panicked in the car on yeah. the way over and thought, you know, we had to open with a different scene. And, and you fit, you school, school, yeah. what were you going to say about Spielberg? Oh, that I said to him, because they were intrigued by how we do the show, and I said, well, we do all the, the animation in Massachusetts and the voices we do in Korea. <laughs> And he said, we do a lot of our work there as well. <laughs> no, 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 didn't, didn't get no. it. No. 
No. Honestly, though, did not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this way he wasn't being. Uh, and Jeffrey was trying. Sorry, Jeffrey, uh, trying so hard to be funny. Yeah, and Steven Spielberg wasn't trying at all. So it was kind of a fun, fun thing to watch the two of yeah. them. Yeah, so it was a difficult meeting. It was good, actually. They picked us up right away. And How come I've never seen it, I, though I might not know about it? Because it was a pilot, and then we, it didn't go to series because we walked. How many did you have made? We had two made. So they exist? They exist, yes, and I gladly send it to you. Yeah? So, yeah. Uh, well, it seems to me that the Dr. Katz freaks and uh, Home Movies freaks and Bob's Burgers freaks and any, everything that you spawn would certainly jump at the opportunity to see something like that. Yeah, you'd think. Um, uh, have you ever tried to uh, put it out in the well, world? Well, the thing is, uh, ownership own it. Oh, own, yeah. is very complicated, and so you'd say you could call them or call my old company. I sold my company and say, who owns Giving Harry the Business? And everyone goes, I don't know exactly. Yeah. So do you dare put it up there? Well, I guess, why You know, not? you can leak it and have someone put it up. The worst that can happen is a cease and desist right. and then you take it down. If this doesn't leave this room, could you leak it for us? Sure. I, I mean, I have to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I usually have people posting. There's some wonderful... Uh, experiments with animation that Tom and I did that you can see on my site, uh, com, which is what, oh, this is, this is something what? you probably considered that, have you ever considered what it will say on your tombstone when the day comes? Yeah. How would that go? Uh, well, um, I think that, uh, loving son. No, I think it would be, are, are we good? <laughs> That's, mine is here lies uh, loving son loving father loving husband also on the web at jonathancats.com yeah but um but you can see some of the work tom and i did on my site something called uh phone jobs with ron lynch who, and steve sweeney which love ron one. lynch and um i love steve sweeney you remember steve from boston sure, sure i do yeah yeah i mean i'd love to i wanted to have them on the live WTF I did last year, I did a live WTF at the Wilbur with uh, Tony V, Frank Santarelli, Jimmy Tingle, Mike Donovan, and Kenny Rogerson. And it was and spectacular. Mike, Mike Donovan is hilarious. He's hilarious. He's he was so great. Good. So earnest. Yeah. It, he was, he was, so, you got to listen to that thing, you know, because I opened for all those guys. Right. You know, when I was starting out in Boston and uh, just out of respect and, and out of love for them, you know, we, we did this thing and he was just funny because I started getting people talking about, about comics that I knew, right. you know, back then, you know, what happened to, to uh, uh, I don't remember who it was, but I brought him up, and you know, we'll, I, I wanted people to dish on the right. guy, right. and then somebody started to, and Donovan would just chime in like, "He's doing very well. He lives in uh, Newton. Uh, he's got lovely children, and uh, he's uh, he's a very good man." Like he, every every <laughs> turn that I would try to get right. some dirt going, he would say, "Nope, he's uh, very healthy, lovely person." <laughs> you know, yeah, he was very sweet. He is a sweet guy. He, but here's the difference between me and Mike Donovan. Mike Donovan once saved a bird that was dying in a tree mm. and brought it down, fed it, yeah. kept it safe until it could fly again. I have a bird that I want killed. That's where you're at? Yeah. I have a bird named Nibbles who bites and is verbally abusive, and I want him dead. And I fucking hate this bird because our new show we recorded in Jonathan's basement in eight different rooms, so each actor... Each comedic actor is in a different room, isolated, 
And the bird is so loud, you can hear it through Anywhere. the insulated walls of all eight rooms. John That's has it. a great studio in his basement. Except for the bird. Yeah. Well, I have my neighbor, Dennis, who I, I, I'm wondering what kind of tools we're going to be experiencing momentarily. Yeah, but do you think this stuff will handle it, this uh, insulation on your walls? No, I mean, I've got that door open because it's nice out. Yeah. And, and generally, you know, with these mics, you're so, you're on them. It, yeah. it doesn't, it's not a wide range mic, but we'll be all right. So, okay. <coughs> Home Movies was produced by you or it wasn't? It was my company. Okay. Yeah. And Lauren, it was, uh, he, I had said to him, it's time for you to do your own show. And that's what he did. And basically the instruction was go out and develop a comedy crush. Right. And uh, like that I, mean? well, I had a crush on John's comedy because before I'd met him. Benjamin. No, John Katz. Mm -hmm. I just. Uh, Homewrecker. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah. I, you know, I just couldn't get enough of his particular sure. style. And I saw him in a David Mamet movie, uh, Things Change. And then when I found out he was a neighbor, I couldn't get over there fast enough to yeah. ask him if he would be the talent in Dr. Katz. Right. Which I had done originally on my own. I did both all the voices for before I met John. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, you know, you got to find somebody. I think that's the way it happened. Yeah. Maybe he said, I got to find someone like your Jonathan. Because he was jealous that we'd go out and do the outlines for Dr. Katz on yeah. our own. Yeah. And uh, so he met Brendan at uh, the Hong Kong. Yeah. Do you know Brendan Small? Sure. Brendan Small. And uh, the two of them concocted, well, they developed this relationship where they love being with each other. Yeah. And Brendan was very musical. And, yeah. And, uh, and I, I stayed the hell away from it. Uh, and of course, as I heard uh, Lauren say on this very podcast, that uh, he's never done a show without John Benjamin, and why would he? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> he's a funny guy. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, unusually gifted in a booth. Yeah, yeah. And what what determines that? I mean, well, I think uh, I don't. I get people pissed off who love improv when I talk about improv because I think I overstate it, but. Mm. Ben doesn't really do improv. He does like ruthless attack <laughs> yeah. conversation. Yeah. And but it's just funny enough and it leaves just enough room for the other guy. Uh-huh. And uh Yeah, you I never want to be in the sights of either him or Cedar. No pranking or when I did that your show with John Benjamin, essentially yeah. he interrupted me for a half hour. Yeah. And that's what he does. <laughs> he does it so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, obviously, I'm taking nothing away from him because he's a miracle. And yeah. he was the guy who could get John Katz to laugh because John made it a point of never laughing at anybody, yeah. comedians, <clears throat> anything. Yeah. It and makes it, it difficult to like him. And in the booth, John started laughing, and yeah. Lauren and I were trying to figure out how to get it out. Yeah. And we realized, oh, let's keep it. It's, yeah. it's, it's historic. Yeah. Yeah, we left in the laughter, and, the, and we had this very, not unlike now, conversational pace. Well, I got one laugh out of him, and I'll remember it on the uh, tombstone. I, that was a, a genuine John Katz. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's that's, on. It happened, and that I was you know, a I've good been, joke. Well, I've been trying to get it for a long time, yeah. you know, and then uh, it happened here. Yeah, you know, for me, it's a big deal. Yeah. Today or just yeah. now? Yeah, about yeah. five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. he I, he actually couldn't stifle his laughter. Right. They, whatever filter he has in place to to not let on that he's enjoying. Oh, something. the are we good? Yeah, 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 that was great. Yeah, but don't yeah. don't you say to people? I mean, if you could, mm. don't laugh if you can help it. No. No, I, 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 no, I don't say that. Oh, I, because I would never want anyone. <laughs> Is that how you opened your shows? <laughs> I would say, hold your laughter, please. Till the end. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't want anyone to laugh at anything I said if they could possibly control their desire to laugh. That's interesting that you picked the profession that you did. 
Yeah, because I don't I don't <laughs> want uh, I mean my daughters have been giving me courtesy laughs for years. Do you don't want courtesy laughs? I don't want courtesy laugh. I want I want somebody to laugh because haven't you can't ever, help it. But haven't you ever bombed? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. How'd that feel? Terrible. Okay. So maybe you but, should encourage occasional courtesy laughter if necessary. I can't I can't work that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't know the difference. My point is is that if you have bombed, then they're not giving you courtesy laughter. So so you're not a guy that's going to get courtesy laughter. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're not going to indulge you that much. Right. When they don't like you, they don't like you. Right. But, all right, so let's talk about uh, the explosion bus. Yeah. That seems like there's another uh, device there that sounds exciting and interesting. Yeah. Well, for me, the cool thing is it's like John and I 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. We're doing exactly the same thing. In the, Dr. Katz was done in my house. And I'm in the same house, mm-hmm. and it's on the same floor, and so we can uh, all the productions done there, all the animations done there in your house, in our house, and we would record. Wait, you guys live together now? No, oh. uh, but uh, we would record at my place like we used to, but mm-hmm. um, it's more convenient for John if we come over and uh, bring everybody there. So once a month, we bring in the actors and uh, with their five scripts because we're doing. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about this, but we're doing uh, five-minute episodes for the web, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that's the right length. But before we get into that, yeah. we're very lucky to have this guy, Tom Leopold. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with his uh, work at all? I feel like I know his name. Yeah. Well, that a, might be Leopold he, and Loeb. That's he, the only... yeah, he, wrote, he wrote on Seinfeld. Okay. He wrote on um, a lot of shows since Seinfeld, but he also wrote on Cheers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And was He's a, a veteran. And was a child actor mm. in a show called Gunsmoke, which you're not old enough sure. to remember. Uh, Ma- uh, Arnaz. Yeah, Arnaz. James, James, James Arnaz. Arnaz. But yeah. I heard, first heard him, uh, he's Harry Shearer's sort of go-to guy on the radio when they're doing faked up Sure, uh, oh, on uh, the show? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I heard him there and got So he's, you got him? Got him. He's just fantastic. Who else is involved? Uh, well, we've had people on the show uh, that just as friends mm-hmm. that aren't regulars like B.J. Novak. Mm-hmm. And who else? Uh, Bill Macy. Yeah. Oh, really? But uh, for the B- most... B.J. Novak seems to slowly be infiltrating all media. He should. That's true. Yeah. yeah, he's very he's very good. Um, well, but, I, and I, then we're, we're just using local comedians and talent like from... Like who? Sketch actors from Improv Boston. Like oh, okay. A woman named Mish Whitaker, mm-hmm. Megan Galterman. And Matt D. I don't know Matt if you D. know. I don't know these See, guys. These are kids new, that are just coming New generation. Out. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, really young. So, no, what is the uh, the angle? What is the, 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 the show? What it's is it? two pathetic guys. Uh, that would be Jonathan. And, right. And, and Tom Leopold. And Tom Leopold. Okay. Yeah. And uh, delusional. Yeah. And what's your delusion? That we are convinced and we don't have any of the uh, tools to believe this that we're going to put the fictitious version of America's Got Talent out of business and we're going to do it because we already have a bus right and we tend to hire attractive women yeah who know how to drive a stick shift Uh Um, and they go around the country uh, uh, auditioning people and putting it up on their little website that's the fiction right I get it so they're like uh, the fiction the fictional version of America Got Talent. What's the name of that on the show? Monster oh, Talent. Monster Talent. Okay. And we have a British guy who's an asshole who is the bad guy. Right. And so they're like, this is our nemesis. We can do this better. Mm-hmm. We have a right. bus. We're going to go across country. Right. We're going to audition people. Right. But sort of like 30 Rock, which is supposed to be about 
you know, a Saturday Night Live like show. Mm-hmm. You don't really ever see any of that. It's just like all the shit that happens in the office. But isn't there some sort of uh, a fan engagement or talent engagement where you're soliciting all the time these audition tapes? Yeah, and they so can, you you and then you animate them. Yeah, so it's a it's made for the internet, definitely. Uh, well, the audition tapes are, are just YouTube videos that they're people not, send us. That, they're not they're not animated. The an, the animated part are the characters on the show although uh if someone gets chosen because they're particularly good audition right then we animate right. their thing that's and true that's kind of the reward so for people to send it this in. is all an internet thing it's all internet right. explosionbus.com or and on youtube explosion bus or facebook mm-hmm. etc uh but my question is you see what's happening out there do you hear could, is it my foot going like this Mm-mm. No, okay. No, it's an outdoor sound. We're, we're, it's okay. It's okay. We're 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 yeah, coming it in. We're coming in for for yeah. landing. You don't know any. Um, oh no! What's happening? Do you know any Dutch people? No. Is there a Dutchman out there? Might be. Mm. I think they're clog dancing. No, he's uh, building the fence. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's fence building time. No, that's not. Oh, that's what you were hearing. Now I hear. A, Do you want me to go stop him? No, we go through this sometimes. He okay. actually suggested that I put an on the air light. On my garage. Oh, that's a good idea. It actually is a yeah. good idea, uh, but I'm not. I, I, we're almost done. That's what you think, huh? <laughs> that's what you no think. idea, Mark. Really? Is this just starting? Uh, so, what were you going to ask me about the internet? Oh, so uh, like I know, I don't know. No, but you. Uh, we started making 18 minute episodes, and people convinced it's, no one's going to look at their computer for 18 minutes. That seems to be the, the like, I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, everybody is trying to get people to watch things longer. I think that if people are, are seeking out your show, uh, they will watch it for as long as necessary. I think that the idea that, that people only spend a short amount of time watching uh, things on the internet is, is based on the viral... Uh, Myth? Uh, vi- no, it's based on the viral video concept that, you know, things that are forwarded to people, whether it's a kitten or a kid or someone throwing up or falling right. off something, uh, are usually short and they're they're forwarded around and that's how things get a lot of views because people are like, that's hilarious, that cat, uh, you know, fell off the thing and it right. didn't die. But I think that w- the transition that's happening or wants to happen or, or people who are in charge of such things would like people to, uh, I think that when people choose to watch something that that is content, that they will watch it for as long as that content. Well, is speaking, there. I saw a, a text. I got a text from someone mm. uh, about a podcast of yours, mm-hmm. and, it, and it had the link, mm-hmm. and it's and it was like, great. Now I have to spend the next fucking hour and a half, mm. you know. But mm. he said it's great. You have to watch, right? It, you know, listen but, to it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's amazing. You can. We were told you can't send a link to anybody that's more than just a couple minutes. Maybe it's the watching versus the listening. Well, I don't know if you can... I think sending the file uh, might be... Not the uh, file, the link. The, so. Why wouldn't you... Because you, you could listen to your podcast anywhere in the car while you're driving. Right, but you got to sit and watch it. Yeah. you got to sit and watch right. it, and it's that lean forward, lean back thing, you know. Well, people can put it on their things. I, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, maybe you should uh, you know break each 18 minutes into three, five... We so did. Three, that's, so that's where we right. are now. They're five-minute episodes. And then maybe people be like, I wonder what's right. going to happen now. Next. Yeah, it and is, then it is driven, story driven, and character driven. Uh-huh. But do you have you ever had Scott Carter on the podcast? Yes. Oh, good. Early on, I had him on. He's an interesting guy. I will tell you one thing about Scott Carter, which is, uh, like Bill Broadus, he has two Asian kids that are adopted. Mm-hmm. So every time I talk to Scott, I always say, "Oh, Bill Broadus says hi." Yeah. And he has no idea who Bill Broadus is. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And how many kids do you have? 
two beautiful kids, couple of kids not so attractive. Yeah, four. Good for you. I have a. I have two daughters and a granddaughter. Mm. I'm not saying that I married an old woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but she got that li- way. Yeah, but she does live in a shoe. Uh huh. How many kids you got? I got two, and they're grown. Yeah. It's weird because we were all sitting in the, you know, I was playing the Beatles box. Right. And there was this moment where, because you guys are a little older than me. Yeah. but And I actually had this, like, I came to the Beatles, like, I, 1969, I was six. 1969, you were functioning. I was 19. Right. So, like, there was that moment where I got the Beatles box and I came to them late because I was too young, really. But when I put Sgt. Pepper's on for you, you were, like, transported to a, a very memorable period of your life. Yeah. And I could see it. There was an excitement there, and I was glad that uh, I had that. Yeah. And what, what would that be? What record would that be for you? You know, if a younger, I mean, I you know, I, well, obviously, yeah. when I was a kid, I got those records, but I didn't. I don't. I have no recollection of what the cultural landscape was when they were introduced to the world. So I have to assume that somebody was nineteen or eighteen when Sgt. Pepper's come out. You have some sort of point of reference where your mind must have been fucking blown with the rest of the world. Whereas mine was already sort of like, yeah, this came out before you, but these guys. But are my broke. question is, if let's say in fifteen, ten years, fifteen yeah. years, right, younger kid, you go, you're getting interviewed. Yeah, he says, I just got the box set of. Oh, thing. what would it be? And he's watching you, and he's going, "Fuck, you just you went to a different place." What album would he pull out of that? Well, box? oddly, they're they're similar records because, like, I, you know, my generation, I'm forty nine. So the, most of what we got was still the wave crashing from you guys, right. you know. So like you know, radio and 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 and, and you know, because we they went into that horrible disco period yeah. in the mid seventies, which nobody could get on board with, and then you know, punk and new wave sort of came out. So like, I, like I think I started buying new records, you know, somewhere in the late seventies, right? Like Elvis Costello's first record, or you know, or some other stuff. Carpenters. Like that. Yeah, no, I miss that. My, but I had my parents' records. And I had your records. But I, I think that wave of your music is still sort of crashing. I mean, you listen to classic hits. Tom Petty, I remember buying the first Tom Petty record, yeah. uh, which was a pretty big moment. When I was at Goddard College, there was one day when I wa- uh, got out of my dorm, yeah. which I didn't often do. Like I went outside, and coming out of every room on the entire campus was... Good day, sunshine. It was amazing, right? Yeah. Like, I remember in high school. Yeah, in high school, the parking lot, when Van Halen 1 came out, that was fucking everywhere. Like, you know, that that guitar solo from Eruption was, it just, it changed the face of everything. And I remember it again in New York in the 90s when I was a growner, a more grown up person, when the first Nirvana album came out, same thing. It was everywhere you walked in, it was like, what is this? Obviously. Oh, great. had a similar impact on me. Yeah, they were great. I, I listen to them almost uh, weekly. Sweet Jane. Sweet Jane. I'm very upset that I can't find my Live in 69 double album. I don't know what happened to it. We'll look after. Okay. Well, I want you to look. I'm the second hairiest man you've ever interviewed in this in this garage. I don't see that. So it's all beneath the clothing. Yeah. Okay, I believe you. Do you know who the first was? Who? Robin. Williams. He's very yeah. He's got hair all over the place. Yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't. He didn't show me, but yeah. I know because he. You can actually see where he shaves. You know, I, I toured with him. I was his musical director for a year, until his management said, "Robin, you're not a singer." <laughs> Were you really? Yeah, no, you were. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Are you guys still friends? We're friends mostly through his ex-wife, who was oh. my ex-girlfriend. Is that true? Yeah, Valerie Velardi. No kidding. Yep. The mother of his children. Uh, the mother of his first two kids. Mm. 
And my daughter Julia played with his son Zachary, mm-hmm. and Robin was upset when Zachary tried on one of Julia's blouses. Oh, uh, so what happened? How'd that end up? She, his, Valerie, had to convince Robin that's not how boys become gay. Yeah, he was nervous. There yeah. we are again. Yeah, we're back. We, we've come full circle, right? Because he should have known it was by buttoning. Yeah, the top button. Of That's the right. Yeah, you can wear a woman's blouse as long as you don't, don't button. button the top. Button. <laughs> Do you remember when when uh, young girls had training bras with wheels? No. All right. So um, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Thanks, fellas. So people can go to explosionbus.com yeah, yeah. and jonathancats.com for uh, to get up to speed. And yeah. I think you might want to think about re- releasing those two episodes of that uh, Harry. What is it? Giving Harry the business. Giving Harry the business. Will do. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you, Mark. That's our show, people. I hope you dug it. I hope you're... Uh, that was an interesting conversation. I really believe that. When something I came away from from that conversation was that those guys were really sort of classic baby boomers. Like, you know, top of the... top. You know, like, I'm at the end of the baby boomer. They're at the, uh, the beginning, I believe. And, uh, you know, their points of reference were interesting. And, it, you know, go check out the new thing. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get some merch. Get on the mailing list. Get the app. Upgrade to the premium app. Check out the Lipson deal that we got going over there. Uh, get some JustCoffee.coop. Check my dates. The tour is going to be announced next week. The Out of the Garage Tour. <sighs> I shouldn't have drank that fucking Red Bull. I never drink them. I never drink them. Boomer lives! <laughs> <laughs>